Blog Talk Radio. We'll find out right now. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. guys welcome to comic corner uh episode i lost track but anyways we're back (laughs) we do comic corner (laughs) once a month we try to anyways and uh, this is comic corner we're going to be talking about deep space nine too long a sacrifice issue number three and star trek year five issue number 14 we are live for the next hour and our phone number here is 646-668 Two four three three. If you'd like to call and share your opinions on either one of these books or a book that we've talked about in the past, uh, please give us a call, 646-668-2433. We'd love to hear from you. So I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and this is my, this is my third podcast in three days, uh, believe it or not. Sunday, I did Stunt Treks with D. Leslie Hoffman. We talked about horror movies, in particular, Nightmare on Elm Street in honor of Halloween. That was a lot of fun. You guys can check that one out on our Blog Talk Radio page. And on Saturday night, Charles joined me for our Halloween spooktacular. <laughs> and um, we just hung out and spun some tunes, some um, some horror songs, uh, some fun stuff from like Weird Al Yankovic's and things like that. And we just hung out for a couple hours and had some fun and talked about our favorite horror movies. And it was a lot of fun, so you guys can check that out as well. And now here I am, third day, third podcast with Comic Corner. But I do it all for you guys, you know, because you guys deserve it. I love you guys. Star Trek fans are the best fans. So here we are. And with me, again, we have Charles. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. We got some mild weather here, but I hear the weekend we're going to get cold. I'm hearing wow. 60s yeah. or 50s. For us, that's cold. Well, we're hitting it's, 80s it's, right now. It's funny that you should mention that it's going to get cold and you get in the 60s because right now out here in Vermont, it's snowing and it's in the 20s. And over the weekend, it's going to get into the 60s and we're going to have a heat wave. Nature, it just can't make up its mind. But but Leslie got six oh. inches of snow up in Saranac Lake, so Leslie's digging mm. out. But we're not we're not quite there yet. She's a little bit further up north than I am here. So, and uh, we also have with us Eric. Eric's out in Portland. How you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing really good. It is uh, another beautiful day in Portland. It's 63 degrees and uh, pretty sunny today with a little bit of clouds in the sky. Beautiful, beautiful fall day. And uh, super excited to talk about these two books. we got some good ones this month. Yeah, we do. And we, we've got some good ones coming up, too. we got a 7 to 9 story, which is coming up. So uh, I think I already ordered that one from TJ. So I got maybe, I don't know if it came out yet. I'll see if I'll run over there Saturday. Maybe I'll have it. 
But we got a bunch of good stuff coming up, so you want to keep your eye out. You can find out all of our shows. You can go to blog talk radio backslash Trek talking and, and get our full schedule and listen to all of our archive shows there. Or you can visit us on Facebook at Trek talking and beyond spell that all out. And you'll see listed under events, all of our live podcasts. So please do that. We'd love to have you be part of our star Trek family. Well, one more thing before we, we get into this and this will be the last time we'll a- actually say this is, Uh, Make sure that you guys that live in the United States get out and vote. Um, I said this on Saturday. I said this on Sunday. And I'm saying this again today. Uh, It's very important. And, and, yes, answer is that if if you live in the United States, that you please get out and vote. I I can't stress it enough. I can't tell you how important it is to get out and vote. Exercise your right to vote. I already voted. We voted by mail here in Vermont uh, last week, so I've already voted. Eric, have you got your vote in yet? Oh, yeah. I voted uh, a little more than a week ago, and I got confirmation on my ballot. It was received and counted, so there we go. And how about you, Charles? I talked about it before. I voted two weeks ago on early voting, and I know it counted because I used the machine to do it. So uh, we, we here at Trek Talking have done our part and voted. I know Jamie voted as well uh, because I dropped her ballot off at the post office with mine. So we've all voted. So I urge you, please, to vote. And obviously, you have to vote in person now because I think the polls closed at 7, I think. Um, although some places that are listening to us, it's not 7. Here it is, but maybe not where you are. You might still have some time to vote early. But tomorrow is actually the voting day. So if you haven't voted yet, please get out tomorrow and pull that lever and and make your voice heard and exercise your right. So that's all I have to say on that matter. Um, We're going to move on to Star Trek. So uh, what do we want to start with, Deep Space Nine or TOS, guys? Uh, I think we start with DS9. All right, we we can do that. So Deep Deep Space Nine, Too Long a Sacrifice, issue number three of four. We have one more issue. And so far, I hope I'm wrong, but when we read issue number one, one of my biggest complaints of issue number one, I'm going to bring it up now, I might be wrong, is that I thought the lady that was running the bar across the road from across the promenade from Quark planted the bomb in her own restaurant and that she was the guilty party. Now that character has not been seen again since that first issue. And um, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? I don't know because if they pull her back in issue number four and then say she's the guilty party, I'll be very disappointed. Uh, That's, that's all I'm going to say about that. But we did see a new character come in at the end of last month. And we found out that this is a Betazoid. Now, the way they talked about this character, the way they introduced this character is that this character uh, is a character that we know. But I, I don't remember ever seeing or hearing of this particular character in Star Trek before. Have you guys? Uh, I don't think he has been uh, on screen, no. he's The only references that I could find for him had to do with these comics. So I think he's a brand new character. Rhett Law is his name. 
Okay, because of the way Cisco and, and Odo, when they were all acting, it was like he was some legendary, uh, you know, uh, gumshoe that had investigated all these all these other great, great crimes and that we should have known who he was. But I couldn't, for the life of me, remember ever hearing his name ever mentioned. So uh, maybe you're right. Yeah, they I just mean, created the character for the book. I think they created the character for the book. The the there is another reference to Retlaw, which actually comes from the animated series and the episode The Infinite Vulcan. There's actually I don't know if you guys remember the walking plants from that episode or not, but um, those plants were called Retlaws. So there was that word was used before, but not at all in the context of this Betazoid investigator. And by the way, that particular episode, The Infinite Vulcan, was written by Walter Koenig, and the Retlaw plant is Walter spelled backwards. Because as you know, yeah. he, his character was the only one that wasn't in the animated series. So they got him in there by you know, naming a walking poisonous plant after him and just putting his name backwards, the Retlaw plant. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just couldn't remember hearing about this guy. So... Um, what makes this guy so unique is that he's a full Betazoid. So I did find it interesting, though, that they make reference to in this particular book, because this is, this is something that was never clarified or brought up on TNG, and we never saw another Betazoid after TNG, so we don't really know how they handle this, you know, in, the, in all the you know, decades and centuries after that. But in the comic book, they say that he cannot uh, enter somebody's mind without their permission and use anything that he finds in there against them without their permission. And that's an interesting thing to bring up because you figure, you know, with Betazoids running around, they could just be reading everybody's minds left and right, left and right, left and right. And just, you know, who better to be a cop than a Betazoid? because they already know who's guilty and who lied and who didn't. And, you know, they bring it up in this comic book that, that, you know, legally he cannot do that, which I thought was great because you remember Loxana Troy, right? Obviously, <laughs> you know, yeah. running around, yeah, going, obviously. You, know, yeah. you know, he wants to see me naked and, and all these other crazy things that she was saying. So I thought that was an interesting I, I point to make. Well, they let's, actually, let's reference, yeah, go ahead, Charles. Let's reference a novel. Through a novel. They had just when the Betazoids were first joining the Federation. And the Betazoids were very secretive of their ability at that point. And I think once right. they did join, the, they eventually did join our fleet and the Federation. I think there were special, <coughs> special rules built up to protect people from them using this ability too much. Yeah, I think Lawasana kind of used a little much for her own personal use. But professionally, <coughs> I think they were very restricted in what they could do because of their ability. Yeah, and actually Odo brings that up in this book too. He basically, when he's talking to Retlaw, he's like, 
listen, what are the rules that we're playing by during this investigation? Because you have this ability, and I just want to know what your plan is in terms of using it, because there are all these federation conventions that we need to know if you're going to if you're going to follow them or not. So I thought that was interesting. I also thought it was interesting that they brought back something which has it was confusing to me. At the beginning of Next Generation, when the Ferengi are first introduced, Troy says that she can't read their emotions. But then in another later episode in that first season, she also the the one with the uh, the mind controlling device that controls Picard. She actually says that she can feel their emotions. So this comic book brings back the idea that this Betazoid can't read Ferengi emotions, which I think is probably the way it's supposed to be. And maybe TNG just sort of slipped up in that episode. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's that's you know something that that uh, some people. You know, these episodes. When you watch these episodes, they're not—they're not like uh, written in blood and and uh, you know etched in stone and whatnot. And, you know, if, if a writer made a mistake or forgot something or or it snuck through and they didn't catch it, they're humans, and it happens. You know, but I—I I was with you, Eric. I was under the impression I remembered that she couldn't read the Ferengi. That's what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's just the one, there's uh, because, a little ambiguity in season one there, but but generally speaking, I think that that's true, and it's nice too that we finally get this Betazoid who um, he's reminiscing a little bit at the very beginning of this book. I don't know if you were going to dive right into kind of the story here or not, Jim, but there's there's kind of a flashback going on at the start of this book, and it's Retlaw having this flashback about Beta Z, and actually the Dominion via the Cardassians starting to take it over during the Dominion War. Uh, and I think that's a really cool and interesting story point to kind of put into this book. And it actually frames uh, that character's psyche quite a bit, I think, which is, which is very interesting to me. And I, it makes him no, more serious to me. It's like, oh, he's, he's, he's maybe got motivations. I don't know. Which is interesting because the only planets that we really knew involved Cardassia were pretty much during the Dominion War were pretty much Earth and Bajor and the DS9. We didn't know much about other planets being involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like and there's the a pretty serious that... space battle going on here too. I mean, this you could tell the fight for Beta Z was a pretty serious thing so it was it was a big deal and it was cool to have that inserted into that storyline where it had not yet yeah. been and of course they I like also the introduced um, what's his name Vedic um, oh god I wish I, I put I put my comic books away and I didn't dig them out before the show what was the name of the Vedic that that they were went Vedic win no Vedic um, no it's oh. uh, Vedic Teller or Teller Teller T-E-L-E-R. Yeah, Teller, who actually was working with the Cardassians yeah. against the, the, the Bajorans. He was, a, he was a, a spy against his own people. Yeah. And he has a background with Retlaw, which I found very interesting. I, I didn't found that see that be very interesting coming too. at all. No, and that's a twist that's at the very end, and I don't, 
the one thing I will say is, I don't know about you guys, but there, it seems like the almost all opportunities for Retlaw to kind of use his uh, special powers, so to speak, fail in this book, right? He's not, he's like not able to read the emotions of the one, of the one human guy who he tries to get to. Go ahead, Charles. No, he was, uh, Oh, meeting the who was uh, the one that was in the brig. I trying to read it and I yeah, the Nausicaan. The, the Nausicaan. But the what's interesting is that he looks at the. I mean, the way that I read that scene is they they you go if you look at that page they he kind of says blah 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 and the guy's like ha oh, I'm not gonna tell you anything and then they show these three panels that all kind of zoom in on his face and then the Nausicaan's like. Uh, was, was that supposed to intimidate me? And the guy's like, not at all. But you're right. He gets a name out of him. He gets a very yes, specific he gets name. name. That's where that's where Schroeder comes in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's how they start connecting the ensign to the event. But it's interesting that the ensign, yeah. who's probably human, has the ability to belong, who is has the ability to block mind reading, which mm-hmm. makes me think he's no ordinary ensign. Who is he? Where has he been trained in such a thing, which the majority of the trainings that are people that are able to do that are often Vulcan. Mm-hmm. So what kind of training has this guy gotten? Why was he on the station? Or Section 31, too. I think Section 31 people. And by the same token, I would say say that um, Cardassians uh, during this time, certainly we had, you know, people who were surgically altered to look like Cardassians and Cardassians who were surgically altered to look like other people. There's a lot of surgical alterings in the DS9 era. And so it's very possible that um, there could be some Cardassian involvement here too. I don't know, with special uh, training. What's the Obsidian Order? You know, somebody like that. Yeah. Well, we've got one issue left, and uh, yeah, it's looking like my theory is going to be flushed down the toilet. (laughs) I hope. Well, I mean, we don't. Ready. We get it, veterans. We get it. Veterans Day. Oh, cool. I mean, here's what I'll say. The the artists, uh, so all of the artists and uh, writers and everything are the same on this book uh, as the previous one. The art still has that really cool kind of um, pulpy kind of look to it, I think, which is fantastic for a detective story, you know. Um, and in fact, some of the panels, uh, when you get a little bit deeper into the book, when there's some some action going on and stuff, are 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 pretty cool. I like the way that they're laid out. But but moreover, I think that they just get the voice of Odo right in this book. That's one of the things that I really like about it. What did you guys think about Odo in this particular issue? Oh, definitely yeah, Odo's well written in here. Yeah, absolutely. I. And well, I def- definitely, I, you definitely get me to continue to care about Odo. I'm just not. 
the detective doesn't really get me interested in the story more. I think yeah. the detective kind of muddying things up a little bit. But I like how Odo hand, handles things and that we keep we keep getting this suspenseful ending that you're like, okay, I can't wait. i got to see what happens next. And I really, I, this cover was a little bit better, but still not, not an outstanding, what I would consider a cover that would make me want to go, ooh, and buy it. So I'm, I haven't been impressed with their covers for this particular run so far. Maybe they'll blow me away yeah. with the final issue. I, I, I don't know. But if I was, if, if I was flipping through a box of comics at a comic book store looking for something, I would flip right by these. I wouldn't even stop and look at them. Um, with these covers. Now, some of the alternate covers that we talked about were, were really good, and I would have stopped and said, whoa. But the covers that they picked for the general uh, release of them, I probably would have flipped right by them, and they wouldn't even have caught my eye because they're, they're drab, they're, they're colorless, they're, they're not very exciting. Uh, the colors are, are, are um, dark and, and uh, you know, not very vibrant, and I probably would have flipped right by them. Now, this particular cover had Odo chasing somebody. So the, actually, there was actually really something happening on the cover. So this one was a little bit better, but not by much. What, what did you think? What did you guys think? Yeah, I would agree. It's definitely better than last month's uh, issue. But the thing is, is that there's no... The cover doesn't tell a story at all. And I know that that is not always the case. You know, the, the cover in a comic book does not always necessarily relate to what's in the book. We've seen that, um, you know, forever. But that being said, you know, while they captured the essence of Odo running, I think, I don't know who these people are and I don't care if he catches them or not. You know, <laughs> there's nothing in the cover that kind of gets me, that pulls me into it, that makes me really care who, who he's chasing, you know? Maybe if I was to open the book and then the chase was on, you know, like then the cover would have pulled me in. But here's this great cover with him him chasing somebody and then you open it up and it goes back in time and the whole book is all dialogue, which I'm all for. I like all dialogue books, but there's, you know, there's very little action in the book. Yeah. What did you think, Charles? Did you like this cover? We talked to J.K. about this. And the problem that often comes up is that they design the covers before the story's ever created. And I think that's a problem sometimes with some of these stories that say, okay, we're going to need this. <laughs> <coughs> But we're really not sure what <coughs> what the entire story is really going to be. We just know that Odo's solving a mystery and he's chasing things down. Now I look at my digital, and I've got that cover and a second cover by J.K. And I think J.K.'s cover is much better. I think that leads to a lot more mystery in it. We got the Cardassian, looks like our tailor kind of hiding around the corner. 
with War from the detective standing next to Odo. I think that's a little more of a mysterious cover. But I agree they kind of missed. A run unless they really blow me away with issue number four. Um, the covers have really, I mean, are, are the biggest downfall that I have to say about these books is the covers because comic book covers are are so important to a comic book. They're all the covers are almost almost more important than the actual story in the book. Because if the cover doesn't grab you, if it doesn't jump out at you and make you pick it up and buy it, it doesn't matter what's inside the book. They already lost you. And um, like like I said, this is a Star Trek book. I would have bought it anyway, just because it's Star right. Trek. Uh, so, but still, um, the cover's got to got to pull me in. It's got to be something that 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 makes me say wow and want to read it. And you know tease me, make me want to see what's going on. And these three covers so far haven't done that. So right. let's hope that so, issue number four does. So aside from the cover, uh, and what do you guys think about the actual mystery that's being revealed? I know that Jim kind of still thinks it's pointing towards the bar owner bombed her own, her own joint. I'd be interested to know where Charles sees uh, the story going here. I sound to me as though it might be more I think it's I think the Vedic's involved in it and I think it's he knows who the one that's doing it. It's gotta be somebody Connecting on the inside, I have a wonder if the ensign has some dealings with leaking information, and if they're either working, assisting the Cardassians on the Cardassians on this issue, or somebody else who's trying to destroy peace. Yeah, and I really don't think the I don't think the restaurant owner would really have that big of a buy-in to want to destroy peace right now and make the Dominion more war even worse. Yeah, I I think I agree. I I don't think it's going to end up being the store owner, but I am. I kind of feel like it's taking them an awfully long time to give us any information about the actual perpetrators. Like they haven't really, aside from finding this one guy who they, who technically they got his name out of somebody else's head, uh, probably illegally. um, They don't have any leads. They have no motive for the crime that like nobody knows what's going on. And the only connections that they've been able to find are people who are smuggling stuff into the station, which I still have no idea what the connection is between smugglers and people getting killed. So I guess if my, if covers aside, my criticism of this book was that if this is three out of four, I guess I felt like the actual investigation, understanding that they have to do the final reveal in the end in issue number four, I guess I kind of feel like they should have revealed a little bit more in this third issue in terms of, progress on the actual investigation. It's like they're holding all their cards really close to their vest till the very end and 
I mean, I'm interested in how it's going to end, but, man, I wanted a little bit more from this issue. Well, they, they introduced the, um, the ensign, and you know he's going to be in trouble. Cisco's not going to keep him on the station if he's smuggling illegal uh, contraband onto the station. So he, right. he's busted. Right. He, he's done. He's history. Cisco's not going to let that stand. So that guy, totally. he's done. Whether or not he gets thrown out of Starfleet or what his punishment is, I don't know. But he's he's history. That that's he's done. Like the, so there's like that. they haven't found um, they haven't found any connections between any of the killings is the big thing, right? There's all these random people getting killed, and they can't they can't put together why these people are dying. There's no common thing between them. And I thought maybe they'd yeah, find uh, a common thing with this book. No, I think there's a connection. Oh yeah. Because you have the, the the two that got killed this time were Ferengi. They were there to investigate the crime. The other two Ferengi that they the other the group that was killed were trying to bring a special torpedo, a weapon, to help the to help the uh, help Starfleet. And I wonder if some of the others killed have connection to that. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to bring something to try helping the war, and somebody's trying to prevent them from doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be. Well, you know, the the Nausicans really are out of the picture now. You know, they're they're in jail. And that's, you know, they're done. Uh, the ensign has been busted. Uh, presumably, he's he's done too. He served his part in the story. And now Starfleet or Cisco is going to deal with his transgressions. So that character is, is out of the picture. Vedic, um, or Vedic, what's his face? Teller. Teller, um, we just got him pulled in at the end of this issue. And his connection with Retlaw, that's an interesting one that there is going to have to unwind. Um, so they haven't really, they haven't really woven a, a story that ties this all together, really. They, they're just jumping from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. And we don't know where the story started and what was the whole objective of bombing the restaurant in the first place. Yeah, right? I mean, this issue in particular kind of got rid of one of the things that I think was one of the strongest parts of the first couple of issues, which was Odo's internal monologue. I mean, those were the – I think that was the connecting tissue before was, you know, you knew that this story was seen from Odo's uh, perspective. You're sort of following along, listening to what he's saying to himself. They did that. They started it great doing that, but then they did less in issue two, and then they did even less in this issue. And I, I guess I feel like that would be the way to connect everything together. You you read all of these great detective novels, uh, all this great pulp fiction, and what do you, what does it always center around? It always centers around a single character whose internal monologue you usually hear, and you follow their thought process um, through the story. And I, I just want more internal... You know, I want to hear Odo. I want to. Hear, I want to know what Odo has to think about Retlaw. You know, they haven't really 
been explicit about that. He seems kind of annoyed by him, but I don't really know. It'd be nice to know. Yeah, I agree. It started, the whole story started with one particular incident. And as the story has gone on and on, that incident has been pushed further and further back to, to the point where it's not really relevant anymore. The incident that started no, I mean, now the whole it's thing. Just, no, now it's just, a, it's more of like a uh, solving serial killings, right? That initial yeah. bombing doesn't yeah. really matter as much. Well, if they do the story properly, they should finish the story, type it up, and give us a reason why the restaurant was bombed. Right. But I think it has to do with somebody who was in that restaurant. Hmm. Well, like you said, the the other murders had to do with the with the Dominion War, and uh, you know the only people that we're aware of were Bashir and um, Garrick that were in the restaurant, and you know they they sat in a different table, which allowed them to survive. You know, which leads me to think either that the the, the the lady that had the restaurant did that because she was protecting them, or Garrick knew where the bomb was and sat somewhere else to protect them. But both of those options seem to be getting further and further away as more and more uh, murders happen. There's there's no thread to tie them together anymore. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But but uh, on a scale of one to ten, Charles, what would you rate this one? Oh, I'm going to do this specific book about a seven. Good story, but I think the detective was overplayed. How about you, Eric? Yeah, I think I might even dip down just a little bit. I'm going to say six and a half on this book. Yeah, I'm I'm exactly right there with, with you guys. I was thinking between six and seven, actually. Um, the cover really takes a lot out of it for me. Uh, and the the story just... I like the artwork, absolutely. And I like yeah. the new characters that were introduced. I like the this, this crooked ensign in Starfleet. That's something we don't see a lot of. I like that. And the Vedic, who's kind of, you know, walking the line there, you know. I like that. Um, and, and I like the Betazoid investigator thing and, you know but I, I don't see a thread being pulled here. So that's why I have to knock the score down. I think, yeah, six and a half, um, 6.8 maybe. So yeah, between six and seven for me. So there you have it. There you go. There you go. So uh, the next book that we're going to talk about is Star Trek year five, number 14. And uh, this is a book that's really heavy on the Klingons. So, you know, you might think that that I would have really liked it, but you would think wrong if you thought that. <laughs> so <laughs> I I, um, eh, I don't know where to start with this one. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it picks up right where the last issue ends, right? That exact moment yeah. at the last page of the last issue, that's where it starts. That's a good place to start. Okay, I really like. I think the artwork was really good, um, and and you know the cover 
with the with the reflection in the Batleth or or actually the Docta, um, you know, and Kirk battling another Klingon to the death type of thing. I was like, yeah, there was some really flashy colors and it looked really good. And so I, I can't I can't say that this particular problem you know problem with this one was the cover because it wasn't. I thought the cover did exactly what it's supposed to do, made me want to read it. You know, Kirk and Klingons and Batlists and stuff. How can you go wrong? So I wanted to read this one absolutely, not because of the cover. Um, but I had other problems with it. There were other issues with this issue. <laughs> issues with the issue. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, Eric, you want to start us off with this one? Because I don't like, I really don't like starting off uh, on a bad foot. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, so Unless you're going to start, start off, off on a bad foot. <laughs> no, 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 no. I actually, I probably like this book better than you did, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this one starts out, uh, as I said, where the last one leaves off. You, you've got Kirk being judged uh, and he's been brought back, and he's going to have to run something that they call the Klingon Gauntlet, uh, which is basically kind of a series of of tests of getting his butt kicked, going through some pain sticks, uh, etc., kind of testing his toughness. And that whole opening scene, which I think lasts the first like maybe five or six pages, I really liked because um, it's not just about how tough is Kirk, but um, there's also this kind of internal dialogue that I was just talking about that was missing from the DS9 book, there is that going on with Kirk. And there's an internal dialogue, there's an external dialogue with the Klingons, and the Klingons are, of course, taunting him the whole time. Um, So I just really dug those first few panels, first few pages. They look amazing, first of all. The colors really pop. There's a lot of black and red, a lot of really cool panel layouts, that kind of stuff. I also felt like they advanced the story of the creepy guy who is experimenting on uh, Starfleet officers a fair bit too. Um, You know, basically you get the Bones and Spock story and they, they go and eventually crack some heads uh, and, and get kind of the right people notified. They bring Shaw back into this, who is in uh, I think the last issue, maybe even, or she was in 11 also, or maybe she just came in, or excuse me, in 12 or not. Maybe she just came in in 13. Um, and then towards the middle of the book, what they do is they do the classic Star Trek thing where they have the A story and the B story, and they start bouncing them back and forth. And, and on a same series of pages, every panel bounces back and forth between those two stories, which I thought was just super cool and really, really Star Trek-y. Um, so I like that. Uh, I don't, understand the ending and maybe that's what we want to talk about a little bit um but uh i'll just say this issue ends with him talking about sam which is the same way that issue 13 started and so sam is obviously sam kirk his brother is obviously on his mind um throughout this next kind of series that we're in so overall i really we can talk more specifics but i really actually kind of dug this book and uh, what did you think, Charles? Oh. I think the gauntlet was interesting. I think it was a little overdone. 
with guys. I think the fight lasted quite a bit. I'm surprised that Kirk would that last that long in this situation. <clears throat> As for the Admiral, I'm really surprised the Admiral, I know we've had some bad Admirals, but how many Admirals have we really gone truly evil? And how much could you get away with those kind of experiments? Could you sit there and seriously, how would they track saying, oh, yeah, we take, oh, all these alters have disappeared. It's like, no, you stuck them in and infected them with all kinds of diseases to see if you can create vaccines for cures. Uh, I could see an admiral if he tried doing anything like that. I could see somebody like that court-martialed and put into a penal colony for that, or worse. So I think, picture what kind of belief somebody would have to do something to do something like that. So I thought that story was a little bit surprising that they do something that severe. And then to claim the weapon that the Klingons had, we're going to threat to use. We sit there and get Kirk off just in time, and Kirk goes and saves the day. That's like a little too Star Trekky. I'm not sure why the weapon needs to be brought into the story. Yeah. And your Kirk comes right. in and saves the day and says, oh, here, do this, and they do this. The Klingon puts his tail between his legs, and off he goes. It's like, okay, this just doesn't, something just doesn't seem right in that storyline. I I agree completely. One of the, the this these two issues, one of the, I didn't like the fact that, well, first of all, uh, this Klingon just shows up and uh, just, just flies his bird of prey into Starfleet headquarters, and they and they just say, "Oh yeah, yeah, come right in and park right here. Here's a space for you." And uh, he just flies right in, stops right there, and says, "I want Captain Kirk." And Starfleet says, "Okay, here he is. Take him. He's yours." I'm like, I, so you know that was like, all right, all right, whatever. So right off the bat, I was like, okay, this is really not. This is weird. And then he's over there running this thing called the gauntlet that, yeah, okay, I, you know, whatever, I suppose. But I, I didn't really I didn't really get into that whole gauntlet thing because it wasn't very Klingon-y. You know, the Klingons do the, do, do the, um, the ceremony with the pain sticks for other Klingons to earn their honor. But uh, this gauntlet thing, it just doesn't seem Klingon-y to me because, you know, this is the enemy. The, the the Klingon that's accusing him would be the Klingon that would assassinate him, and not not this whole this whole drawn out, you know, running the gauntlet thing. I just I just didn't I didn't like it, and it went on for way too long. And you know, like Charles said, Kirk took way more punishment than you know than I think he would have been able to withstand. So I, I wasn't really 
I was left wanting when I'm when this gauntlet thing. I was like, what's the point? What's going on here? Come on, cut to the chase. I wasn't impressed. And, and then this to the admiral. So Starfleet just turns their back on everything that they hold true, everything they believe in, all their ideals, everything, to follow this crazy admiral. And then at the end, they all say, well, okay, he's wrong. Let's go back to normal again. And they all just, just went from following this crazy nut job to, you know, oh, well, he was wrong, and that's that. And I thought it was all wrapped up way too neatly, way too nicely, and that Starfleet, the officers were just led around too easy. You know, how easy was it for Spock and McCoy to sway the officers when they, when they broke out of the jail? You know, they just said, oh, well, the Admiral's bad, and he's doing bad stuff, and we want, we want to do good stuff. Can you help us? And these Starfleet officers that were watching their fellow officers being tested and murdered and killed just said, yeah, okay, you're right. We were wrong. We're going to change our mind. I just, it didn't, it didn't fly for me. I couldn't, I couldn't buy it at all. And yeah, so the, the whole I story arc, I just, I just didn't like it. It didn't, maybe, maybe if it wasn't two issues and maybe that's the problem. Maybe if they had another issue in between there and they could have uh, expanded on the story a little bit more, explained a little bit more about what was going on, what would, how this guy took over, you know, whatnot maybe it would have made more sense and I, I would have, you know, rolled right along with it. But as it was written right now, I, I didn't. And to me, the whole, it started so promising too, with the crazy RoboCop Admiral and all the awesome starships and things that show up and, and the, the motion picture uniforms, which I absolutely love and all that stuff. And then in this issue, it just, to me, just spiraled out of control. Whereas, like, we got to wrap this up. What are we going to do? All right, Spock's going to do a mind meld. They're going to talk this guy into changing sides. Da 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 da. It's over, and that was it. So I, I wasn't. This particular story didn't thrill me. So that's why I, I, I don't like to. I don't like to be negative. You know, it's one of the things, you know, that I don't like to do. So I, I didn't want to start off first being Mister Negative because we have enough negativity in the world. So that's why I, I wanted Eric and Charles to go first, because <laughs> so, cause that's just not my thing. But anyway, that's what I thought about it, you know. Eric, did, 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 I, uh, did I surprise you, or did you, were you pretty much expecting my response to be what it was? No, I think that's fair. I mean, I think uh, actually Charles's point about the Klingon in the end just kind of tucking his tail between his legs and running away uh, is the one that's the most salient for me because it does kind of make you wonder, you know, where he came from and what the deal was here. I mean, you get the sense during the gauntlet scenes that uh, Kirk makes it through the gauntlet and then the guy still tries to kill him, which I don't think is part of the gauntlet. And so it's clear that this particular Klingon and his crew are, you know, without honor, so to speak. Uh, so that's probably why he did tug his tail and, and run away. But it was a little bit of a, I guess, a disappointing end considering that he was supposed to be this big, this big threat. I don't know. I am, 
I, when when we read those first 12 issues of year five, it did take 12 issues to get through some of the things that started even in issue one. And although, you know, there were pairings of issues, which is what you were just talking about, Jim, which I think we're expecting again this time, there were still things that carried from pairing to pairing. And I'm hoping that we will get maybe, if not more information about this particular admiral, um, at least more information about the his program uh, and how that actually got started. I mean, it seems like for 50 years, you know, the Star Trek that we really saw was, uh, was the good guys, so to speak. You know, it was the... <laughs> Uh, the way that you should act and the way that you can rise above all your adversaries and that sort of stuff with the occasional sprinkling of a devious admiral here and there. There's definitely more of a theme these days in both the shows and the comic books of bringing out the concept of the enemy within, you know, Starfleet having things wrong with it um, in and of itself that can cause harm and hopefully what they do is they are able to kind of keep the evil focused on this one admiral guy and and show that all of these people, you know, sort of followed him, I don't know, blindly or because they thought they were doing the right thing. I don't know. They say in this book that thousands and thousands of people must be involved in this. And so I'm, I'm a little with you, Jim, too. You know, how did thousands of people buy into this program? I feel like there's a good explanation in there somewhere that maybe they just haven't gotten to because they do reveal things slowly sometimes in this series. Well, um, do you remember the episode of Deep Space Nine, um, Paradise Lost and Homefront, where Admiral Mm -hmm. Layton wants to take over Earth and take over the Federation and all the people that followed him on his quest? And yeah. he stationed all these key officers in key locations and actually used Red Squadron as his espionage group. And they all willingly followed him. And when he was ousted, all of his accomplices, nothing was ever said or followed up on of all the people that were following him with his, with his, you know, his plot to take over. And that's kind of what the feeling I got out of this book was that all these officers and all these ships and all these other captains all followed this crazy RoboCop guy. And we don't know who he is. We don't know where he came from. We don't know what his plan is. We don't know who this Klingon was or why this Klingon was there. All these things are thrust upon us that we have to take at face value. And then at the end, the Klingon who has no honor just flies away and the Admiral just surrenders, and everything just goes back to normal. And and I just I I didn't like it. I just I didn't like. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did. I, get, I did like the Kirk. I, I did like the Spock and McCoy thing. Okay, I, I thought that was really cool. Kirk and uh, Spock and McCoy working together, and the fact that they had on their motion picture uniforms and things. I did like that little that little thing with with. Um, McCoy and Spock. I thought that was nice. I like that. They are definitely a fun in the book for sure. Yeah, I, I like interesting that. Interesting when they said, "Oh, we're going to rescue Kirk," and they say, "Well, the Enterprise couldn't have done it 
but due to the power of the transporters on this ship, he can do it. He seems to be awful yeah. powerful for a what probably is a science ship. I sort of read that as just pointing out how old the Enterprise was compared to the new ship. Um, you know, because at this point, I mean, she's been refit a few times, uh, twice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Pre, 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 yeah, so there, there's just, I don't know. Of course, she's got a little bit of life left in her, as we know. Yeah, it's, yep. it, it's interesting. Uh, oh. Yeah, go ahead, Jim. So how many, how many, on a score of one to ten, how many chevrons would you give this book? Well, I, I'm going to push this one up just a little bit because I think that there's actually some reflection of current day society going on in this book that is kind of interesting and a little bit more subtle than Star Trek has been lately. Star Trek's been kind of hitting you over the head a little bit with um, with things, and it's more subtle in here. So I actually. Actually, I kind of like this book, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give it an eight. Interesting. Okay. Cool. How about you, Charles? <coughs> uh, I'm gonna give it about a seven on seven on this one also. I've, I'm I'm a bigger fan. I've liked I've liked the other year fives. I like the two-parter. This one just didn't catch me that well. I think it was a little far-fetched than stories usually are. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. Except I, I actually have to go lower. Um, you know, I went with six point five on the Deep Space Nine book, but I'm tempted to go five point five on this one. Um, I might push that up to a 5.8 maybe um, but I just, that would, I just couldn't that get would it probably make get it, it your, that would probably make it your least favorite year 5 book so far did you yeah, feel that's what it, it was, was. I, yeah yes. I, I was I was really I think that's listen, what I, guys I, I, I was that's the, com- that's the comment I, I was making this isn't is, is uh-huh. my favorite year 5 book at all I love I love the Klingons and anything with Klingons I usually like, but the Klingons in this in this particular story just didn't. They had no. They were too one dimensional. Um, it was like they were. They, you could have substituted Cardassians or Romulans or anybody in place of the Klingons, and it would have had really had no effect on the story because they were just there to give Kirk something to do. So mm-hmm. I, I, that's why I wasn't. I was. But anyways, that wraps up our okay, comic uh, corner, guys. Hold on. Unless you oh, hold yep. on, Jim. Before you cut out, I was over in my Amazon page. Star Trek Year Five Number Fifteen is out already. Number sixteen. Oh, okay. So far, sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen have all been postdated December thirtieth. So there's definitely a long delay on those. The DS9 episode issue will be coming out November 11th. 
And the Voyager 7's Reckoning number one comes out November 18th. So our next comic corner will probably deal with number number 15 for year five and the Voyager one. And oh, by the way, on the cover of the next year five, number 15... We see four crew members trying to prevent Harry Mudd from picking up a Federation flag. Yeah, I saw that. So we have an incident with Mr. Mudd. Very interesting. So we have a lot of stuff coming up. i got to check with TJ and see what books he has for me, but... We do have this giant tome. I'm, I'm up to uh, chapter 38 in the Enterprise War. Um, it's just, wow, that's a big book. <laughs> There's a lot in it. It's a big book. Oh, I, 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 I want to get this one done so that I can move on. to. we got so many other ones to talk about. I want to get into the Janeway book so we can have another, sto- another show with Una McCormick. Uh, she said she would come on <laughs> happily and talk about the Janeway biography with us so i want to get to that and then we still have another voyager uh, deep space our uh, discovery book to read so we got a lot and uh, a card book i haven't even opened yet uh, anyways uh jim but that aside, we have the sandwich guys, book I want to make sure that you guys and the you guys, book. Uh, uh tune in to trek talking on thursday night seven thirty, same bat time same bat channel we're going to be talking oh. about the mandalorian season two episode one actually chapter nine um, it's called The Marshall, and we're going to be talking about that. And we also have Star Trek Discovery to talk about. we got a lot of great stuff. And actually, a lot of what we kind of hinted at today on Comic Corner, we're going to really expand upon some of those topics on Trek Talk and Thursday night when we talk about Discovery. So you don't want to miss that. And, yeah, so we're down to a minute. So, oh, ladies yelling at me. So I just want to say thank you to Eric for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight about comics. Thank you, Eric. You better believe it. Thanks, guys. And I want to say thank you to Charles for hanging out with me on Halloween for our Halloween spooktacular. (laughs) And also for Trek talking with us on Comic Corner tonight. Thank you very much, Charles. Thank you, Jim. And I want to say thank you to each and every one of you guys out there around the globe that are listening to us and making this show possible. We couldn't do the show without you guys. Please visit us on Facebook at Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out. Like and follow us there so you never miss an update on a show. And I'm your host, Uncle Jim, telling everybody to stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Good night, y'all. Good morning, Robert. Trek Talking, all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday nights, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go.